0: One of the al that we say on Yom Kippur is an al the over the, uh, the Yetzirah. It's an alphabetical acrostic. So we have two Alefs, two base. When it comes to to, to the al for Yud, it says, Al-Chait she'chaton al I mean, it doesn't make sense because what else are the sins about? What is the driving force for all the sins if not the Yetzirah? So what am I clapping al Khait for the Yetzirah? There's a famous story about um, a father who had a very talented boy uh, who was going off the derech, whatever that means, a wayward child, or we would say a kid at risk, today's lingo. So he goes to the Alter Rebbe and says, I I, I don't know what to do with this kid. So the Alter Rebbe says, "Okay, so send him to me. Let me speak to him. Now, he knew that that kid isn't going to want to go see no rabbi and certainly no Hasidish rabbi. So he had to devise a plan uh, to get him to Liozna, where the Alter Rebbe was holding court. So he knew that the kid was addicted to horse racing and very fast horses. It was one of his addictions. So he said, can you do me a favor? I need you to deliver a package to Lioshna. And the kid knew that his father did not approve of him riding horses, racing horses, was unrefined. In a wagon is fine. But for a Jewish boy, horse racing was definitely not. And certainly the gambling that went along with it. Okay. So he he says to his father, do you mind if I take my fare? Can I take my horse? I don't mind taking this to Lyoshna, but can I take? So the father says, yeah, OK, take your horse. So he gets on his horse and he rides in to Lyoshna. And the altar rebbe says, hi, how are you? Thank you for the package. And he says, what is, what is this? He said, oh, this is my horse. Said, That's a very good horse. Yeah, what, tell me what's the advantage of this horse? He says, well, it's a racehorse. What's the advantage of a racehorse? It gets me to places very much quicker than a wagon. Uh-huh. But what happens if you get lost? Well, if I get lost and I lose my way and I have to come back, I come back very quick. I go, I come back much quicker. So the Alter Rebbe said, that's if you realize that you lost your way. That's if you realized you lost your way and you're going in the wrong direction and you're on a racehorse well, yeah, if you know that you've lost your way and you have to come back, you'll come back very quickly. And the young man, being very wise young man, understood that the horse wasn't the horse, <laughs> that his horse was his Yetzirah. And, and the nimshal is a very interesting nimshal. In Chasidus, we say, Al shechotanu l'fanecha for the Yetzirah that you gave us. You gave us the Yetzirah. So the question is, what did we do with that Yates horror Did we misuse the Yates horror or did we make use of that racehorse to come back quickly, to do the chuva quickly? And that depends on the realization that I'm in the wrong path. And that's what the Alter Rebbe got through to the kid. And he realized, oh, yeah, right. You have to realize <laughs> that you made the wrong turn. Coming back quickly is just the vehicle, which introduces us to Today's topic and the end of my series, the Gemara in Yuma that I've been talking about for four weeks now. Ha'omer, someone who says, Echtev Ashuv, Echtev Ashuv, I will sin and I will do tshuva. I will sin and repent. I will sin and repent. Let's just look at the words that are used by the Gemara. Ain must speak in tshuva. It's a very interesting and enigmatic statement. Must speak in His I won't get. I, he won't be given the opportunity to do tshuva. Meaning it won't come his way. We have to dig into that. Echde kipurim So the Gemara in Yuma says if someone says. I will sin, and Yom Kippur will mechaper. I don't have to worry about that because the day itself is mechaper. Ain't Yom in No, no. And the the Gemara continues. Rabbi ben Mikol Chato Sechem Hashem Titoru on Yom Kippur in Leviticus sixteen. It says, on that day, Shabbat Shabbaton Yom Kippur, I will purify you from all your sins. So now the, the Gemara qualifies all your sins. Avero shaben adam lemakom. That only applies to sins between man and God. Yep. Yomakipur mechav. Avero shaben adam lechavero. But an avero between man and his neighbor ain't yomakipur mechape at sheyirtze chavero. You first got to make amends. First have to make amends. And without that, Yom Kippur will not be mechabed. Now comes this beautiful notion on the Rabbi Akiva. And before I do that, I want to play for you, if I can, the song by Lipa Schmelzer, And you'll hear the words and follow the words as you hear it, okay? besides the um clearly um spanish influence of the bullfight, uh which which is really crass but lipa schmelzer is singing omar rabbi akiva and we do sing this you know sin Yisrael, and this is straight out of this gemara that is, happy are you, Israel, before whom you are made pure. umi eschem. And who is purifying you? Avichem sheba your father in heaven. As it says in Ezekiel, I will pour upon you the purifying waters and you will become pure. And then this wonderful verse in Jeremiah 17. Mikfei Israel Adonai. God is is the mikveh of Am Yisrael. It's almost like we are dipping into the mikveh of the divine. That is the day of Yom Kippur. That is this Gemara in Yuma. Happy are you, Israel, before whom you are made pure and who purifies you. There is no better metaphor than the mikveh for God's role during Aserah Shemite Shuvah, the 10 days of repentance that lead up to Yom Kippur, and the wordplay at the heart of Rabbi Akiva's midrash teaches us us about the emotional and spiritual and physical changes that must occur for us to become pure. We have to conjure a sense of hopefulness, Ashrechem, Ashrechem Yisrael, happy are you, in order to undergo the personal transformation required to beginning a new year. So what is this metaphor of the mikveh Yisrael? And for that, we have to go darker, (laughs) as I always do. And we have to look at a Rambam that tropes on this very theme. This is the source of the Rambam's theme. And the Rambam says, Kal Ham Isvade people who or anyone who confesses with a speech act with a uh, a verbal confession below gomar and did not complete in his heart lazov to forsake the sin now remember rambam has a number of uh, (laughs) a rabbi told us yesterday four conditions number the first one is Yitnachemal she'ava? Ki acharei shuvi nichamti. After I returned, shuvi tshuva nichamti. I regretted. That's his proof text. Meaning the tshuva is addressing a fundamental, underlying paradigm that allowed the very sin to happen in the first place. When you abandon it, there is a sense, a regret. You're saying that this thing is no longer even an option for me. I see it for what it is, and I'm not just saying I hope I don't do it again, or I'm I'm going to fight this, or I wish this act was okay. The act is no longer an opportunity because it doesn't make sense to me. That is yit I regret the past. Then comes lehit vadot besvatai, that's called vidui, confession with the lips it is articulating the sin and making it real i taking it out of myself and verbalizing it i'm taking it out of my mind it's no longer a mental process it needs to be an acceptance of the reality which is paradigmatic to me now in a way that avoids my previous fantasies it can't be part of my mental fantasy so we verbalize it to make it part of something outside me and then comes this statement, gomar What does that mean, zove? Letting go of the sins. So abandoning the sin must come first, even before regretting, because for juva to take place, there needs to be a paradigm shift, and this sin is no longer seen as a reality to me, or as the rap I said yesterday, not even getting close to any trigger, right? Yosef is the tzaddik because he doesn't let the trigger get to him. He runs away when she comes on to him. He runs away from from, uh, the sin. That's Ya'azov, right? It's no longer reality. It's no longer an option. You have to leave the scene of the crime if it ever comes back again. So he abandons his sins and removes them from his thoughts and resolves in his heart never to do them again. That's Ya'azov. The nature of Aziva is the letting go. Now, if he doesn't do that, then hare Dome domer le tovel Now, I asked Salome, Hershey's wife, to show you a picture. I asked her to draw a cartoon of hatovel tovel So you have a beautiful image of a Hasidic shayit. I want him to have payas and he's... Sh- Stimming in the mikveh, and he's ready before Yom Kippur. And can you see that amazing image he did for me, right? He's yoireit. He went down the steps into the mikveh to completely purify himself. The mikveh Yisroel. <laughs> and what can you see what he's holding here? He's holding a lizard, a sheritz. There are a type of shiratzim in the Torah. I, I, I liked the idea of a rat, and I wanted her to, to make it struggling, you know, with her legs flying and the tail flying. But then I realized that if it's alive, it's not matame. It's only a dead shiratz. So it had to be a limp, dead carcass of a shiratz. And there it is. He's the chassidish ayyid in the mikveh, the shirotz v'yodo. It is the most amazing image that I can't get out of my head. And the Rambam is basing that idea, on the Gemara that we had learned. Why doesn't the tvila help? Because you're holding the sherets. The sherets is the thing that makes you Tome. And you're holding the sherets in your hand. And you think... That you can be toivel with the sherets in your hands. That won't work because he knows the immersion will be of no value until he casts away the creepy thing. So azivas then means I have to first cast away the creepy thing before I go into the mikveh. When Moshe is praying to God on the Chet egel he's confessing to God it's obligatory to name the sin. Look at this, people have sinned a great sinner. They made themselves a Hei You think God didn't know that? Moshe had to articulate the addiction to gold and the Elokei Zahov. He had to articulate it in order for them to then lifro tachay to get rid of it. So, what is the nimshal? That's my question. What is the nimshal? And I, I thought that I would share with you Matis Weinberg's beautiful uh, articulated statement: "Veheno omel omoide Only he who abandons will receive." the mercy. The aziva, ozev. That's what the Rambam is saying. The din in vidui is 100% vidui. It doesn't make any difference to the vidui if you lied through your teeth from the beginning till the end, because you'll make yourself unclean again because you never let go of the sin. So what was the point? It's an unbelievable insight into the nature of vidui and the nature of aziva. So Weinberg is separating the two He's shteiging in the Rambam. He's shteiging in the difference between aziva, which is letting go of the sherets. You don't want to let go. So you're saying vidui. You want to lie about everything else? I don't care. But what good is it to you? <laughs> good if you let go. You're really not embarrassed and you want to lie about it. Fine. You don't want to change your mind about having done that sin? Fine. You want to fake out that it's never going to be thought about again, Fine. What do I care? Did you let go? The only thing I need to hear is that you let go. You're not holding on to it. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> it hits me that what is the nature of the sheretz? The Rambam is saying that you went to the mikvah. Where did I go to the mikveh? I don't understand how did I go to the mikveh? The Rambam should say this can be compared to someone who puts on a raincoat and goes into the mikveh without his raincoat. <laughs> he's pretending to go to the mikveh while he doesn't immerse himself in the very water. He's wearing a raincoat. What kind of ridiculous metaphor is this? He went to the mikveh but you know it won't help because he's holding a sheretz. The simple meaning of course is that the vidui is absolutely a mikveh. Yisrael. Mi God is matahir, you, like you going into a mikveh ha He's m'tahar, you, once you do your vidui. Because you didn't let go. That's the only thing holding you back. It's not holding you back because of a flaw in the vidui. It's holding you back because it's making you unclean again. So where did you ever let go of it so you should become tahor? That's the point. I thought that's just a brilliant, brilliant point. The Gemara that he's troping off mm-hmm. is a Gemara in Tainis. A person has an Avero. And he he confesses odom she per- It's like a person who's holding the sherets in his hand even better metaphor than the Rambam, even though he goes to every mikveh in the world, lo also lo The tvila doesn't help. He's got a sheretz in his hand. Okay. Zroko, the moment he lets go, kiven she tovel also Tvila, then it works. Then it works. Okay. Now, going back to the Rambam, he draws an analogy between the unrepentant sinner who declares a verbal vidui to a toivel Sheretz biodo, a person who seeks to obtain ritual purity by immersing in a mikveh while still holding on to the source of impurity. He refers here to the category of tumma called tumer sherets. I'll just show you my jastro, the apicoiris, thank you, my friend. Let's define a sheritz, creepy crawly, as we learn in school. <laughs> he refers to the category of tumors called tumors sherets. There are different types of tumor. He could have chosen other types of tumor. There's tumors meter, which one contracts through direct contact with the remains of one of the eight rodents listed in VaYikra 11. A person divests himself of the status of impurity through immersion in the mikvah. But it's ineffective if the individual continues holding on to the carcass. And so the metaphor that the Rambam in his dazzling interpretation of the Gemara in Tainus is that a person who wishes to erase a past sin cannot hope to do so unless he tashlichet. <laughs> Sheretz. He has to cast away the rodent, meaning to sincerely repent. Misvade belibo. You've got to bring the heart into it. If he goes through the motions of declaring the confession, without undergoing the process of teshuva, the confession is as valueless as immersion in the mikveh, holding a Sheretz. Very nice. Now, this analogy has to be understood in our first reference to Rabbi Akiva's famous exclamation. Fortunate Chem Yisroel, before whom are you purified? Rabbi Akiva establishes a kind of correspondence between the process of tshuva and the mikveh. Just like the immersion in a mikveh is effective to remove the status of tumer, so does the process of tshuva, returning to the Almighty, remove one's status as a sinner. It cleanses the individual, like the mikveh eliminates the status of ritual impurity. And that really underscores the transformative nature of the Tuma experience and the tshuva experience. The process of tshuva entails not merely a change of conduct, but a change in one character and very essence. The occurrence of sin affects an individual's personal status that must be restored to its initial condition through the experience of tshuva. And in Hilchus tshuva 7.6, he says, included in the ways of tshuva is that the penitent sinner constantly cries before God with weeping and supplication. He performs charity and distances himself, Aziva, from the very matter which he sinned. As if to say, and now I quote the Rambam, I am somebody else. I am not that person who committed those acts. I am not that person. The objective of Shuva then is reaching the point where can one can honestly avow, I'm someone else. I'm not the person who committed those acts. Now, a number of later commentators have a problem with this rumbum, and I want to just show you a couple just to put before you for consideration. Is this analogy an accurate one, as we aren't asked before? From a strict halachic standpoint, the two cases, the sinner who repents without resolving to improve and a person who immerses in a mikveh holding a sheret are not comparable. When a person contracts tumor sherets and then immerses in a mikveh while holding the carcass, actually the immersion is in effect effective in his eliminating the source of impurity. However, as he still maintains direct contact with the source, he immediately reassumes that status upon emerging from the mikveh. So, if he's holding onto the sherets and he's in the mikveh, that is actually quite effective. But it's only when he leaves the mikveh, still holding the sherets, that he now reintroduces the tumma. Technically speaking, the presence of the sherets does not undermine the validity of the mikveh rather reintroduces Tumma the moment he comes out of the mikvah. This is a real deal, okay? In this sense, it appears that the case of immersions differs significantly from the situation used as an analogy by the Rambam in the verbal confession. The Rambam speaks here of a person who confesses, but has not resolved in his heart to abandon has not resolved in his heart. It's just merely a verbal declaration of his misconduct. And in a number of earlier passages in Hilchas Tshuva, he deems azivas hacheit as an integral part of the Chuva process, as we reviewed. I will never repeat this act. And in his definition of the essential component of Tshuva, he writes... And what is tshuva? That the sinner abandons his sin, aziva sachet, and removes it from his thoughts and resigns in his heart never to commit again. So the resolve never to repeat the offense is an inseparable part of the tshuva, even of the verbal confession. So then, what is the precise analogy, toivel besherets biodo, and an insincere confession? In the former case, the insincere confession, The procedure is altogether meaningless. No purpose is served by declaring a confession without the heart, without the desire, commitment to improve. Going into a mikvah holding a sheritz, by contrast, the procedure is indeed effective in removing the tumma. but that status is immediately reinstated when he comes out due to the continued presence of the catalyst. And so this subtle distinction between the halachic tuma of the Sheretz, I'm not just trying to bring you a briskadilk. diuk, it gives rise to the question of whether Maimonides intended to present this comparison as a precise nimshal, and you know me, I love that space between the moshal and the nimshal, and when they don't correlate exactly one-to-one, something is happening, Does he make this comparison to underscore the ineffectiveness of the insincere confession? And so we need to not account for the precise features of the two procedures. It was just a nice metaphor. It's a nice thought. Or did he see teshuva and immersion as closely related and corresponding processes compelling us to steig in, why did he give us a nimshal that did not fit the moshal? That's the question. Is there a value in an insincere confession? That's what he may be pointing us to in that gap between the two, between the moshal and the nimshal. Now, in the anonymous Yad Haktana, a commentary to the Mishnah Torah, we find a startling suggestion, and he's the only one of all the commentators on the Ramban, that's why I love it, that Maimonides in fact is acknowledging some value in a verbal confession not accompanied by resolve for future improvement. The Yad HaKtanah claims that the Torah establishes the concept of vidui as one component of the tshuva process, but appreciates the emotional difficulty in character change. What a psychological insight. Those who are addicted to things in this world find it very hard to change. Does that make all the al valueless? Does it make the whole tshuva process of Yom Kippur waste of time? Many sinners truly and genuinely wish to repent in every sense implied by this term. They are repulsed by their own shortcomings and long for the day when they can discontinue along the path of sin and begin a new chapter of full Torah observance. But however, Now, in this moment in time, they are overpowered by internal, external, neurological, psychological, genetical, epigenetical pressures that impel them to repeatedly commit the given act of sin and prevent them from achieving self-improvement. The Torah, which addresses itself to imperfect mortals and recognizes their failings and weaknesses, then establishes a means whereby even sinners of this kind can take one important step towards complete chuva. The vidui then, according to the Yad HaKtana, is a worthwhile experience even for a sinner, even as he is as yet incapable of sincerely committing himself to never repeating the wrongful act. And then Maimonides' analogy is indeed an accurate one for the Yad Ktana. The sinner who confesses without a commitment to improve is indeed comparable to a toivel b'sheretz b'yodoi, in that he too has performed a meaningful act of purification. He went into the mikvah, of course, like the individual who immerses whilst holding a sheretz. he needs to, when he comes out and he's still holding onto it, he's got to go back in. He's got to repeat the procedure after Casting away the rodent in order to achieve the desire, but just the toivil v'sheretz Biodo achieves momentary purification despite the presence of the sheretz. And so too the sinner described here by Maimonides has performed some small measure of tshuva. Now most of the others disagree with the Yalkutana. And I want to just bring you Yosef Kapach, the greatest interpreter in our generation from Yemen of the Rambam, in his commentary to the Mishnah Torah. He suggests a different explanation to explain the correspondence drawn between the insincere confession and the Teuvel Sheretz which he realizes is not a good analogy. He says the two situations differ from one another in that confession without a commitment to improve is entirely ineffective, whereas immersing while holding a sheretz momentarily is effective. Rav Kapach claims the comparison between the two cases lies in the emergence of tumah Hadashah. Wow, absolutely dazzling. When you're in the mikveh, you're good. You are good to go but when you come out of the mikveh it's not that you've returned back to the old sheretz you are now completely clean and as you emerge and the sheretz is in your hand there is a tumah hadasha a new status of impurity as a result of the intended procedure it's just brilliant you went in to the mikveh to tovel yourself from all your addictions. In that mikveh, momentarily, you are free, my friend. As you come out, the coming out, having had that experience, brings you to a new tumma chadasha. In the case of immersion, of course, the immediately after the individual divests himself of his tumah. A new state of impurity descends on him as a result of his ongoing contact with the Sheretz. It's like, it's not that I just have an addiction, I have a Yitzhahora. If I'm trying to do something with that Yitzhahora, and I've gone through the process, I've gone through the Yom Kippur, and now I come out, there's a change mm-hmm. in the very Sahara itself. It's a tumah chadasha. Similarly, a sinner who confesses without resolving to improve has not only failed to achieve atonement for his wrongdoings, but has also committed an additional offense in abusing the precious asset of the vidui. He's abused the tool of the (laughs) mikveh. Absolutely stunning. And so I want to just add my, my little knech, because I've been struggling with you for the last few weeks about and I want to bring charity to it. And I want to say that for me, the things that impede me from my Chuba process, most of all, the sherets that I go into the mikveh with that impede my ability to completely confront my past, and completely engage in the chuva process has to be my resentments. Resentments build over the years, and they are little like furry animals that we take out every morning to stroke, and they pollute the heart. They pollute the heart, and the hardest thing that impedes me in terms of my relationship with the divine and my relationship with my loved ones and with my the people outside me, the sherets that I continuously struggle to let go of in that mikvah is very much the uh, the resentments of the heart and so I leave you with this wonderful image and hope that we all share with each other this some and, and bring, you know, some charity to oneself and forgive oneself, not just be hard on ourselves as we go through the tuva process. Remember that the, 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 the most critical al is al-cheit shechaton lefanecho, the Sahara. That, that, that my biggest hate is that I didn't transform the Sahara and the resentments and the sherets that I, I can't let go of. There is Alan introduced me to uh, one of the recovery metaphors, which I I just absolutely love. There is a a neurobiology experiment where they they have a monkey in a cage and then they offer him a banana. And so he puts his hand through the cage and grabs the banana, but he can't get it back in the cage. because it's transfer and he hasn't got that understanding that you just have to turn 90 degrees and you can get the banana back into the cage. And so he doesn't let go. He will starve rather than let go of that banana. And I think that that's Descherets for me. We, we, we have to let go. And that's part of the tshuva process. And I bless everyone to be able to examine themselves, this Yom Kippur, like our little chassidish Yid with his payas in the mikvah. And that I bless everyone to let go of their own sheriffs. Have a wonderful, wonderful time. Yom Kippur is a time of happiness because we're promised that we will all be forgiven. (laughs) Maha